0: Chapter Three of Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tyrell Sornson. Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon by Austin Laird. Chapter Three Reception by the Yazidis, Village of Gezildare, Triumphal March to Redwan, Redwan, Armenian Church the House or Brazen Bird, Tileh, Valley of the Tigris, Bas Reliefs, Journey to to Tusamil, Abde Aga, Journey to Mosul, the Yazidi Chiefs, Arrival at Mosul, Xenophon's March from Zab to the Black Sea. I was awoke on the following morning by the tread of horses and the noise of many voices, The good people of Hamki, having sent messengers in the night to the surrounding villages to spread the news of our arrival, a large body of Yazidis, on horse and on foot, had already assembled, although it was not yet dawn, to greet us and escort us on our journey. They were dressed in the gayest garments, and had adorned their turbans with flowers and green leaves. Their chief was Akko, a warrior well known to the Yazidi wars, still active and daring, although his beard had long turned gray. The head of the village of Gesildir. the principal inhabitants had come to invite me to eat bread in his house, and we followed him. As we rode along we were joined by parties of horsemen and footmen, each man kissing my hand as he arrived, and the horsemen alighting for that purpose. Before we reached Geseldir the procession had swollen to many hundreds. The men had assembled at some distance from the village, the women and children dressed in their holiday attire and carrying boughs of trees, congregated on the housetops. Soon after our arrival, several fakirs, in their dark coarse dresses and red and black turbans, came to us from the neighboring villages. Other chiefs and horsemen also flocked in, and were invited to join in the feast, which was not, however, served up until Kual Yusuf had related his whole history once more without omitting a single detail. After we had eaten of stuffed lambs, pillows, and savory dishes and most luscious grapes, the produce of the district, our entertainer placed a present of home-made carpets at my feet, and we rose to depart. The horsemen, the fakirs, and the principal inhabitants of Geseldir on foot accompanied me. At a short distance from the village we were met by another large body of Yazidis and by many Jacobites. A bishop and several priests were with him. Two hours' ride with this great company, the horsemen galloping to and fro, the footmen discharging their firearms, brought us to the village of Koshana. The whole of the population, mostly dressed in pure white and wearing leaves and flowers in their turbans, had turned out to meet us. Women stood on the roadside with jars of fresh water and bowls of sour milk, whilst others with the children were assembled on the housetops, making the talel. Resisting an invitation to alight and eat bread, and having merely stopped to exchange salutations with those who assembled, I continued on the road to Redwan, our party swollen by a fresh accession of followers from the village. As we passed through the defile leading into the plain of Redwan, we had the appearance of a triumphal procession, but as we approached the small town, a still more enthusiastic reception awaited us. First came a large body of horsemen, collected from the place itself and the neighboring villages. They were followed by Yezidis on foot, carrying flowers and branches of trees, and preceded by musicians playing on the tabul and zernai. Next were the Armenian community, headed by their clergy, and then the Jacobite and other Christian sects, also with their respective priests. The women and children lined the entrance to the place and thronged the housetops. I alighted amidst the din of music and the tlel at the house of Nazi, the chief of the whole Yezidi district, two sheep being slain before me as i took my feet from the stirrups i took up my quarters in the armenian church dining in the evening with the chiefs to witness the festivities the change was indeed grateful to me and i found at length a little repose and leisure to reflect upon the gratifying scene to which i had that day been witness i have perhaps been too minute in the account of my reception at redwan but i record with pleasure this instance of a sincere and spontaneous display of gratitude on the part of a much maligned and oppressed race To those, unfortunately too many, who believe that Easterns can only be managed by violence and swayed by fear, let this record be a proof that there are high and generous feelings which may not only be relied and acted upon without interfering with their authority or compromising their dignity, but with every hope of laying the foundation of real attachment and mutual esteem. The church stands on the slope of a mound, on the summit of which are the ruins of a castle belonging to the former chiefs of Redwan it was built expressly for the christians of the armenian sect by mirza aga the last semi-independent Yazidi chief a pleasing example of toleration and liberality well worthy of imitation by more civilized men service was performed in the open iwan or large vaulted chamber during the afternoon the congregation kneeling uncovered in the yard the priests of the different communities called upon me as soon as i was ready to receive their visits the most intelligent amongst them was a roman catholic chaldean a good-humored tolerant fellow who with a very small congregation of his own did not bear any ill will to his neighbors with the principal yezidi chiefs too i had a long and interesting conversation on the state of their people and on their projects redwan is called a town because it has a bazaar and is the chief place of a considerable district it may contain about eight hundred rudely built huts and stands on a large stream which joins the dir bakir branch of the tigris about five or six miles below the inhabitants are Yazidis, with the exception of about 100 Armenian and 40 or 50 Jacobite and Chaldean families. A Turkish mudir, or petty governor, generally resides in the place, but was absent at the time of my visit. We slept in a long room opening on the courtyard, and were awoke long before daybreak by the jingling of small bells and the mumbling of priests. It was Sunday, and the Armenians commenced their church services betimes i gazed half-dozing and without rising from my bed upon the ceremonies the bowing raising of crosses and shaking of bells which continued for above three hours until priests and congregation must have been well-nigh exhausted the people as during the previous afternoon's service stood and knelt uncovered in the courtyard the kawals who are sent yearly by hussein bey and sheikh nasir to instruct the yezidis in their faith and to collect the contributions forming the revenues of the great chief and of the tomb of sheikh adi were now in redwan The same kawals do not take the same rounds every year. The Yazidis are parceled out into four divisions for the purpose of these annual visitations. Those of the Sinjir, of Kurzan, of the Pashilik of Aleppo, and of the villages in northern Armenia and within the Russian frontiers. The Yazidis of the Mosul districts have the kawals always amongst them. I was aware that on the occasion of these journeys the priests carry with them the celebrated Malik Taos, or brazen peacock, as a warrant for their mission. As this was a favorable opportunity, I asked and obtained a sight of this mysterious figure. A stand of bright copper or brass, in the shape like the candlesticks generally used in Mosul and Baghdad, was surmounted by the rude image of a bird in the same metal, and more like an Indian or Mexican idol than a cock or peacock. Its peculiar worksmanship indicated some antiquity, but I could see no traces of inscription upon it. Before it stood a copper bowl to receive contributions, and a bag to contain the bird and stand, which takes to pieces when carried from place to place. There are four such images, one for each district visited by the Kowals. The Yazidis declare that, notwithstanding the frequent wars and massacres to which the sect has been exposed, and the plunder and murder of the priests during their journeys, no Melek Taus has ever fallen into the hands of the Musulmans. Mr. Hormuz Rassam was alone permitted to visit the image with me. As I have elsewhere observed, it is not looked upon as an idol, but as a symbol or banner, as Sheikh Nasir termed it, of the House of Hussein Bey. Having breakfasted at Nazi's house, we left Redwan, followed by a large company of Yazidis, whom I had great difficulty in persuading to turn back about three or four miles from the town. My party was increased by a very handsome black and tan greyhound with long silky hair, a present from old Akko, the Yazidi chief. Tawar, for such was the dog's name soon forgot his old masters and formed an equal attachment for his new Kual yusuf and the yezidi chiefs had sent messengers even to hussein bey to appraise him of our coming as they travelled along they scattered the news through the country and i was received outside every village by its inhabitants at tilla the united waters of bitlis sirt and the upper districts of botan join the western branch of the tigris the two streams are about equal in size and at this time of year both fordable in certain places we crossed the lower, or eastern, which we found wide and exceedingly rapid, the water, however, not reaching above the saddle girths. The spot at which we crossed was one of peculiar interest. It was here that the ten thousand in their memorable retreat forded this river, called, by Xenophon, the Centritus. The Greeks, having fought their way over the lofty mountains of the Carducians, found their further progress towards Armenia arrested by a rapid stream. The ford was deep, and its passage disputed by a formidable force of Armenians, Mygdonians, and Chaldeans, drawn up on an eminence three hundred or four hundred feet from the river. In this strait Xenophon dreamt that he was in chains, and that suddenly his fetters burst asunder of their own accord. His dream was fulfilled when two youths casually found a more practicable ford by which the army, after a skillful stratagem on the part of their commander, safely reached the opposite bank. The sun had set before our baggage had been crossed, and we sought, by the light of the moon, the difficult track along the Tigris, where the river forces its way to the low country of Assyria through a long, narrow, and deep gorge. Huge rocks rose perpendicularly on either side, broken into many fantastic shapes, and throwing their dark shadows over the water. In some places they scarcely left room for the river to pursue its course, and then a footpath, hardly wide enough to admit the loaded mules, was carried along a mere ledge overhanging the gurgling stream the gradual deepening of this outlet during countless centuries is strikingly shown by the ledges which jut out like a succession of cornices from the sides of the cliffs the last ledge left by the retiring waters formed our pathway we found no village until we reached the place had been deserted by its inhabitants for the yelaks or mountain pastures for three hours during the following morning we followed the bold and majestic ravine of the tigris scenes rivalling each other in grandeur and beauty opening at every turn leaving the river where it makes a sudden bend to the northward we commenced a steep ascent and in an hour and a half reached the christian village of kuara we rested during the heat of the day under the grateful shade of a grove of trees and in the afternoon we stood on the brink of the great platform of central asia beneath us were the vast plains of mesopotamia lost in the hazy distance the undulating land between them and the taurus confounded from so great a height with the plains themselves the hills of sinjar and zako like ridges on an embossed map the tigris and the Kabur winding through the low country to their place of junction at darabun to the right facing the setting sun and catching its last rays the high cone of Mardin. behind a confused mass of peaks some snow-capped all rugged and broken of the lofty mountains of botan and malatea between them and the northern range of taurus the deep ravine of the river and the valley of redwan I watched the shadows as they lengthened over the plain, melting one by one into the general gloom, and then descended to the large Kurdish village of Funduk, whose inhabitants, during the rule of Bidair Khan Bey, were notorious amongst even the savage tribes of Botan for their hatred and insolence to Christians. Although we had now nothing to fear, I preferred seeking another spot for our night's halt, but this was not permitted by Resul Kiyah, who sent after us, and was so urgent in his hospitality that we were compelled to pass the night in the village the Kurds of funduk wear the botan dress in its full perfection a turban nearly three feet in diameter shalwars or trousers of enormous width loose embroidered jackets and shirt-sleeves sweeping the ground all being striped deep dull red and black except the under linen and one kerchief tied diagonally across the turban which is generally of bright yellow they are armed too to the teeth and as they crouched round the fires on the housetops their savage countenances peering through the gloom my london companion unused to such scenes might well have fancied himself in a den of thieves the kiya notwithstanding his bad reputation was exact in all the duties of hospitality the supper was abundant the coffee flowed perpetually and he satisfied my curiosity upon many points of revenue internal administration tribe history and local curiosities we passed the night on the roof without any adventure and resumed our journey before dawn on the following morning to the great relief of mr c who rejoiced to feel himself well out of the hands of such dangerous hosts Crossing a mountain wooded with dwarf oaks by a very difficult pathway, carried along and over rocks containing many excavated tombs, we descended to Finique, a village on the Tigris, supposed to occupy the site of an ancient town, phinica After we had breakfasted, some Kurds, who had gathered round us, offered to take me to a rock, sculptured, they said, with unknown frank figures. We rode up the narrow and shady ravine, through which leapt a brawling torrent, watering fruit trees and melon beds. The rocks on both sides were honeycombed with tombs. The bas-relief is somewhat above the line of cultivation, and is surrounded by excavated chambers. It consists of two figures, dressed in loose vests and trousers, one apparently resting his hand on the shoulder of the other. There are the remains of an inscription, but too much weather-worn to be copied with any accuracy. The costume of the figures, and the forms of the characters, as far as they can be distinguished, prove that the tablet belongs to the Parthian period. We quitted Finnick in the afternoon. Accompanied by Kual Yusuf and Mr. C., I left the caravan to examine some rock sculptures in a valley leading from Jazira to Dergileh, the former stronghold of Bader Khan Bay. The sculptures are about two miles from the high road, near a small fort built by Mir Saif Eddin and now occupied by a garrison of Arnauts. There are two tablets, one above the other. The upper contains a warrior on horseback, the lower a single figure. Although no traces of inscription remain, the bas-reliefs may confidently be assigned to the same period as that at Phinique. We found the caravan at Montseria, where they had established themselves for the night. This is one of the very few Nestorian-Chaldean villages of the plains which has not gone over to the Roman Catholic faith. It contains a church and supports a priest. The inhabitants complained much of oppression, and unfortunately, chiefly from brother Christians, formerly of their own creed. I was much struck with the intelligence and beauty of the children. One boy, scarcely twelve years of age, was already a shamasha, or deacon, and could read with ease the scriptures and the commentaries. We left Mansuraya at four in the morning, passing Jazira about dawn, its towers and walls just visible through the haze on the opposite bank of the Tigris. Shortly after we were unexpectedly met by a number of Yazidi horsemen, from whom we learnt that the country was in a very disturbed state on account of the incursions of the desert Arabs. But as a strong party was waiting to accompany us to Samil, I determined upon taking the shorter, though more dangerous and less frequented, road by Daraboun. This road, impracticable to caravans, except when the river Kabur is fordable, winds round the spur of the Zako hills, and thus avoids a difficult and precipitous pass. Daraboun is a large Yazidi village standing on the western spur of the Zako range. Numerous springs burst from the surrounding rocks and irrigate extensive rice grounds. Below is the large Christian village of Feshapur, where there is a ferry across the Tigris. We were most hospitably entertained by the Yazidi chief, one of the horsemen who had met us near Jazira. We mounted our horses as the moon rose, and resumed our journey accompanied by a strong escort which left us when we were within five or six miles of Samil. It was late in the forenoon before we reached our halting-place, after a dreary and fatiguing ride. We were now fairly in the Assyrian plains, the heat was intense that heavy heat which seems to paralyze all nature causing the very air itself to vibrate the high artificial mound of the yezidi village crowned by a modern mud-built castle had been visible in the distance long before we reached it miraged into double its real size and into an imposing group of towers and fortifications almost overcome with weariness we toiled up to it and found its owner abdi aga the yezidi chieftain seated in the gate a vaulted entrance with deep recesses on both sides used as places of assembly for business during the day and as places of rest for guests during the night he was of tall commanding figure with the deepest and most powerful voice i had ever heard we arrived earlier than he had expected our forced march from Daraboon having saved us some hours and he apologized for not having ridden out to meet us his reception was most hospitable the lamb was slain and the feast prepared but a sudden attack by the bedouin on a neighboring village obliged him to reluctantly leave us and be absent during our stay being urged to depart through apprehension of the bedouin we pushed forward when suddenly a large body of horsemen appeared on a rising ground to the east of us we could scarcely expect arabs from that quarter however all our party was made ready for an attack Kual yusuf and myself being the best mounted rode towards them to reconnoitre then one or two horsemen advanced warily from the opposite party we neared each other yusuf spied the well-known black turban dashed forward with a shout of joy and in a moment we were surrounded and in the embrace of friends Hussein Bey and Sheikh Nasir, with the Kowals and Yazidi elders, had ridden nearly 40 miles through the night to meet and escort me, if needful, to Mosul. Their delight at seeing us knew no bounds, nor was I less touched at the display of gratitude and good feeling equally unexpected and sincere. They rode with us as far as Tel Eskaf, where the danger from the Arabs ceased, and I was now once more with old friends. In the afternoon, as we rode towards Tel Kef, I left the high road with Hormuzd to drink water at some Arab tents. As we approached we were greeted with exclamations of joy and were soon in the midst of a crowd of men and women kissing our knees and exhibiting other tokens of welcome they were jebours who had been employed in the excavations hearing that we were again going to dig after old stones they once set about striking their tents to join us at mosul or Nimroud. as we neared telkef we found groups of my old superintendents and workmen by the roadside there were fat Toma, mansur benin and Hana, joyful at meeting me once more and at the prospect of fresh service in the village we found mr Rassam, the vice consul, and Kojatoma, his dragoman who had made ready the feast for us at the house of the chaldean bishop next morning as we rode the last three hours of our journey we met fresh groups of familiar faces then as we ascend an eminence midway walls towers minarets and domes rise boldly from the margin of the broad river cheating us into belief too soon to be dispelled that mosul is still a not unworthy representative of the great nineveh as we draw near the long line of lofty mounds the only remains of mighty bulwarks and spacious gates detach themselves from the low undulating hills now the vast mound of koyunjik overtops the surrounding heaps then above it peers the white cone of the tomb of the prophet jonah many other well-remembered spots follow in rapid succession but we cannot linger hastening over the creaking bridge of boats we force our way through the crowded bazaars and alight at the house i had left two years ago old servants take their places as a matter of course and uninvited, pursue their regular occupations as if they had never been interrupted. Indeed it seemed as if we had but returned from a summer's ride. Two years had passed away like a dream. I may in this place add a few words on the part of the route pursued by Xenophon and the Ten Thousand during their memorable retreat, the identification of which had been one of my principal objects during our journey. I have, in the course of my narrative, already pointed out one or two spots signalled by remarkable events on their march i must first state my conviction that the parsong like its representative the modern farsong or farsakh of persia was not a measure of distance very accurately determined but rather indicated a certain amount of time employed in travelling a given space that xenophon reckoned by the common mode of computation of the country is evident by his employing almost always the persian parasong instead of the greek stadium and that the parasong was the same as the modern hour we find by the distance between larissa nimrod and mesbila Koyunjuk, being given as six parasongs corresponding exactly with the number of hours assigned by the present inhabitants of the country and by the authorities of the turkish post to the same road the six hours in this instance are equal to about eighteen english miles the ford by which the greeks crossed the great zab zabates may i think be accurately determined it is still the principal ford in this part of the river and must from the nature of the bed of the stream have been so from the earliest periods It is about twenty-five miles from the confluence of the Zab and the Tigris. The Greeks could not have crossed the Zab above the spot I have indicated, as the bed above the river is deep and confined within high rocky banks. They might have done so below the junction of the Gazir, and a ravine worn by winter rains may correspond with the valley mentioned by Xenophon, but I think the Gazir is far more likely to have been the torrent-bed viewed with so much alarm by the Greek commander, and the passage of which Mithridates might have disputed with some prospect of success that larissa and mespila are represented by the ruins of nimrod and Kyunjuk, no one can reasonably doubt xenophon's description corresponds most accurately with the ruins and with the distance between them from mespila the greeks marched four parasongs and probably halted near the modern village of batnai between telkef and teleskoth an ancient site exactly four hours by the usual caravan road from kiunjuk instead of fording the kabur near its junction with the tigris and thus avoiding the hills they crossed them by a precipitous pass to the site of modern zako they reached this range in four days traversing it on the fifth probably by the modern caravan road they were probably much retarded during this last day by having to fight their way over three distinct mountain ridges it is remarkable that xenophon does not mention the kahur although he must have crossed that river either by a ford or by a bridge before reaching the plain yet the stream is broad and rapid and the fords at all times deep nor does he allude to the hazel a confluent of the kabur to which he came during his first day's march after leaving zako these omissions prove that he does not give an accurate itinerary of his route four days march the first of only sixty stadia or about seven miles brought the greeks to the high mountains of kurdistan which meeting the tigris shut out all further advance except by difficult and precipitous passes already occupied by the persians xenophon having dislodged the enemy from the first ridge returned to the main body of the army which had remained on the plain this must have been near finnick where the very foot of the kurdish mountains is first washed by the river the spot agrees accurately with xenophon's description as it does with the distance the greeks he says come to a place where the river tigris is both from its depth and breadth absolutely impassable no road appeared no craggy mountain of the kardukians hanging over the river xenophon preferred the route across the mountains of kurdistan as it led into armenia a country from which they might choose their own road to the sea and which abounded in villages and the necessaries of life beyond the kardukian mountains there were according to the prisoners two roads into armenia one crossing the headwaters of the principal branch of the tigris the other going round them that is leaving them to the left these are the roads to this day followed by caravans one crossing the plains of kurzan to dierbekir and thence by well-known mountain passes to karput the other passing through bitlis xenophon chose the latter the villages in the valleys and recesses of the mountains are still found around funduk and on their first day's march over the kardukian hills the greeks probably reached the neighborhood of this village there now remained about ten parsongs to the plain through which flows the eastern branch of the tigris but the country was difficult and at this time of the year nearly midwinter the lower road along the river was impassable The Greeks had, therefore, to force their way over a series of difficult passes, all stoutly defended by warlike tribes. They were consequently four days in reaching the Centritus, or Eastern Tigris, the united waters of the rivers of Bitlis, Sirt, and Botan. It was impossible to cross that river at this spot in the face of the enemy. At length, a ford was discovered higher up, and Xenophon, by skillful strategy, effected the passage. This must have been a short distance from Tilla, as the river, narrowed between rocky banks, is no longer fordable higher up owing to the frequent incursions of the Cardukai, the villages along the banks of the Bitlis had been abandoned and the greeks were compelled to turn to the westward to find provisions and habitations still there was no road into armenia particularly at this time of year for an army encumbered with baggage except that through the Bitlis valley the remains of an ancient causeway are even now to be traced and this has probably always been the great thoroughfare between western armenia and the assyrian plains Xenophon consequently made nearly the same detour as I had made on my way from Constantinople. Six marches, of five parasongs each, brought them to the small river Teleboas, which I believe to have been the river of Bitlis. After crossing the low country of Curzan, well described by Xenophon as, a plain varied by hills of an easy ascent, the Greeks must necessarily have turned slightly to the eastward to reach the Bitlis valley, as inaccessible mountains stopped all further progress my caravan was thirty-three hours in journeying from bitlis to Tella, corresponding exactly with the six days march of the greeks they probably came to the river somewhat below the site of the modern town where it well deserves the epithet of beautiful it may have then had as at this day many villages near its banks it will be observed that xenophon says that they came to not that they crossed the teleboas from this river they reached the euphrates in six marches making as usual five parasongs each day in all, thirty power songs or hours. I believe, therefore, that, after issuing from the valley of Bitlis, Xenophon turned to the westward, leaving the Lake of Wan a little to the right, though completely concealed from him by a range of low hills. Skirting the western foot of the Nimrod Dog Range, he passed through a plain thickly inhabited, abounding in well-provisioned villages, and crossed here and there by ranges of hills. This country still tallies precisely with Xenophon's description we have not i conceive sufficient data in xenophon's narrative to identify with any degree of certainty his route after crossing the euphrates we know that about twenty parsongs from that river the greeks encamped near a hot spring and this spring might be recognized in one of many which abound in the country it is most probable that the greeks still took the road still used by caravans through the plains of hynas and hassan kala as offering the fewest difficulties but what rivers are we to identify with the phasis and harpasis the distance between the Euphrates and Phasis being 70 parasongs, and between the Phasis and Harpasus 95, and the Harpasus being the larger of the two rivers. I am on the whole inclined to believe that either the Greeks took a very torturous course after leaving the Euphrates, making daily but little actual progress towards the great end of their arduous journey, the seacoast, or that there is a considerable error in the amount of parasongs given by Xenophon, that the Harpasus must be the Cheruk, and the Phasis either the Araxes or the Ker and that Mount Thekis, the holy mountain from which the Greeks beheld the sea, was between Batun and Trebizond, the army having followed the valley of the Cheruk, but leaving it before reaching the site of the modern port on the Black Sea. End of chapter 3